Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. It's my privilege uh, to introduce my friend to you all today. This is Lenny Glenn. She's been a part of TBC for 10 years now. I found that hard to believe when she just told me that. Uh, Her two daughters actually came to UMHB here. Uh, You may know them. They are still a part of TBC. Samantha Rogers and Chelsea Munoz are Lenny's daughters. She has some grandchildren here as well, cute as can be. And um, I'm just excited for Lenny uh, to share with us what God has taught her. Lenny is one of my, is a, a special friend to me because she gives me the freedom to disagree with her about things sometimes. And she loves me anyway. And we, we have great conversations. And I think everybody needs friends like that. So I want to encourage that in you. Um, let's pray for, for Lenny and we're going to turn it over to her this morning. God, I thank you so much for what you have taught us already at our tables, for the truth of your word. God, we just rest in that today. We expect you to teach us, and so we're asking for you to open our eyes to something new, and that, we, that you move Lenny out of the way and that you speak through her, and that we are able to receive and put into practice what you would teach us. Would you help Lenny? Would you give her just confidence in what you have given her to say and God, would you give us ears to hear? And we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, the first thing I'm going to have you do is stand up, and I'm going to read the word to you, okay? We're going to read our text today. It's Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things out according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You can be seated. Thank you. I tell you what, I love to read the Bible. I love it. But it is so hard sometimes for me to read because you know what? The Bible is reading me. It's examining me. It's studying me. And the Holy Spirit carries me through so many emotions as I am confronted and and challenged with the unwavering truth of God. The Spirit crushes me, convicts me. He searches me. He saddens me. He grips me. He chastens me, he humbles me, and he brings me to my knees in utter dependence on the gospel. 
we're gonna see on the road to Emmaus, I'm gonna tell you about a story about two disciples. They were challenged with the truth when confronted with it as they walked with Jesus. In Luke 24, two disciples were leaving Jerusalem on the road to Emmaus in utter shock on the day of his resurrection. Jesus withheld his identity. He walked them through the Old Testament as he accompanied them on their journey. And it was not enough to show them that he was really alive. He had to show them from the Old Testament why he died and rose again. Their sadness quickly turned to joy, but their joy evaporated because the Messiah left him there. Now, you know, the Old Testament, as we learn, is like that. It's full of disappointing conflict and clashes between hope and experience, between promise and reality. And these clashes, these are no accident. God decreed them to point us toward his son. The Old Testament, by design, longs for the new. God planted the seeds of longing in the form of promises, allowing them to take root as the promises began to clash against the harsh realities of history. Finally, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son to bring all the tensions to a head and resolve them wondrously. Jesus understood this grand design. He said in John 5, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. From the beginning, a promise had been made. But what would become of that promise? How would it be carried out? What does it mean for me now? Well, Ephesians tears the doors off the mystery. The love of Christ that was beyond knowing, now known. The unfathomable riches of Christ, now fathomed. The old promises made long ago to Abraham, to Moses, to Joshua. The promises that these faithful never saw fulfilled they're now satisfied in Christ. Things exceedingly far beyond all we can ask or imagine now revealed in front of our eyes in the person of Jesus Christ. And it is by him that we see everything else. He opens our eyes to see a man that we've never actually seen. He teaches us to see everything else that the world contains. And in this seeing and Our gaze means to wake us up from our fantasies, from our fictions, from our nightmares, to see things as they truly are. I must confess that every time I read this portion of scripture in the first chapter of Ephesians, I weep, I pinch myself, and I wonder, how can it be? These words from Paul about God's design for us as believers, they shape everything how I think, who I am, my identity, my purpose, and all that I possess in Christ. Do you remember when you were a child? I'm very old, so I have very dim memories of that, but waiting for your birthday each year to come, it seemed like forever. Well, we don't have to wait for heaven to receive these blessings that Paul is talking about today. All that he's given me is at my disposal right now. So where are these heavenly places that Paul talks about in Ephesians 1, 3, where it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
Well, these heavenly places are not in some far off distant reach at some terminal endpoint in space. No, they are in the realm of invisible reality in which we, the Christian, lives now in contact with God and in conflict with our arch enemy, the devil, with whom we are all daily engaged. This world we live in now is a world where the most important things of our lives, the most important things of our lives are not visible. These important things can't be touched. They can't be tasted or weighed or measured They aren't subject to the inspection of science, and they are not available to the viewpoints of man. In this spiritual realm is where these blessings are to be found. Ephesians 6.12 is going to help with our understanding. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual force of evil in the heavenly places. There's a battle going on in the heavenlies. And part of the enemy's battle plan is that you and I as believers will not truly believe all that Christ has done for us. That we will not believe that this word that you have in front of you is truth. And that we will definitely not believe that we have the power through Christ Jesus to overcome and daily fight sin. I'm going to give you a good biblical picture of this. This is Elisha in 2 Kings 6, if you want to read further. Elisha and a servant were in a small city one day when they were surrounded by the armies of Syria. The servant looked out upon this vast enemy, and he saw the cavalry and the armed chariots everywhere. And fearfully, he turned to Elisha and he said, everything is hopeless. What are we going to do? We are surrounded. Elisha said, fear not. For those who are with us, are more than, than those who are with them. And he prayed, Lord, open his eyes. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes and he saw ringing the horizon all the fiery chariots of God manned by hundreds and thousands of soldiers. And it was then that he realized the true situation. This life is not limited to what we can see with our earthly eyes. But what we do know undeniably is that God the Father blessed us in Christ before the foundation of the world because he chose us to be in Christ from before creation. Now to be in Christ is to be, and you may have talked about this at your table, holy and blameless. Trouble is we don't believe we are holy or blameless and consequently then we don't live like we're both. To be holy is to be set apart for God through Christ, which we are and it was done in love. To be blameless means God charges my sin to Christ's account. So my holiness, my set-apartness, my blamelessness are all in Christ. And if you look at that first uh, portion of Scripture that we're studying today, you can see how many times the word in is there. And it's remarkable when you mark up your Bible and see That is what you have. That's what I have in Christ. The Father's choice was made in love and grace that he might make us holy and blameless children. These blessings were eternally determined to come to us. And since they were to come in Christ, they are certain. They're certain as his coming and his second return. God never commends his children to be what he does not provide for them to become. 
I want to say that again. God never commends his children, you and I, to be what he does not provide us to become. Since God in his word says we are holy and blameless, he has made it possible. And that result is of being in Christ. Here now we're, we face an incredibly important question. How should we live? When Christ died, all of our sin and guilt was laid upon him. It's no longer held against us. Everything unholy, everything worthy of blame, everything attracting and incurring guilt, every spiritual spot, wrinkle, and blemish was dealt with by Christ's death. God no longer sees our sin. God no longer relates to our sin. God no longer takes our sin into account. The perfect righteousness of his perfect son now covers us. When God looks at the person who is united in Christ by faith, he sees only Christ. I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. I hope that you have this. I hope that you know Christ. I hope that you know you can be a different person in Christ. So I'm going to mention just three things about being in Christ. The first thing is we are radically transformed. Paul explains this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, where he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, new creation, right? The old has passed and the new has come. We're going to be talking about old and new in here. And next time I see you up here, that's what I'm going to be talking about. So I want you to be thinking about old and new, putting off and putting on. We are putting on Christ. Being in Christ is nothing less than being made fully alive. So also in Christ shall we be made alive. This is a total spiritual change. One commentator described it like this. He, Christ, becomes the soil in which we grow, the atmosphere that we breathe, the source and goal of our entire existence as people. That really sums it up. Being in Christ brings a sweeping life orientation, a change that thoroughly radicalizes our conduct. And in daily life, it's going to look like this. Though the world hates those in Christ forgive. While the world lusts for more, those in Christ are content. The second thing is, and I only chose three. I, there's a lot, so y'all should be grateful. Secondly, being in Christ brings about a unity that we can't do on our own. We have learned and studied this week that Paul is writing about unity in the body of believers. But if each of us doesn't strive to live in the blessings and realization of what has been done for us in Christ, we're not going to be any use to the body as a whole. The heart of our unity is that we become members of the body of Christ. Spiritually, there is a living relationship with Christ. So let's think about it like this. Because of being in Christ, we are united in Christ through salvation. Through this union, we also enter into a profound oneness into unity with other believers. Now, Jesus prayed that all believers would be one and love one another in the same way that he has loved us. When we avoid 
criticize, or argue with one another. We hurt the testimony of our salvation as well as ourselves. But when we rely on the power of the Spirit working through us, we can achieve the unity He desires. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's from Galatians. The third thing is our being in Christ brings deep satisfaction. This is by far my favorite. The deep satisfaction that we find in Christ. There's so many things going on in this world. There's so many things happening to us, but we know that in Christ we have deep satisfaction. And outside of him, it is not possible to be truly and really fulfilled. The pleasure that the world gives and offers to us is very much like a Chinese dinner. No matter how good it is, you know you're going to be hungry in two hours. I mean, you just know it. It is in Christ and in Christ only that lasting fulfillment, deep satisfaction is found. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That means that when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have already received all that God in, ever intends for you to have in Christ. You see why that's so important? The weakest believer holds in her hands all that is ever possessed by the mightiest saint of God. Her blessings are infinite. They're limitless. They're incomprehensible. They're unfathomable. You and I already have everything because we have Christ. And in him is every spiritual blessing and all that pertains to life and godliness. We have what it takes to live the life that God wanted. In Christ, I've been rescued, just as the Israelites put blood on their doorpost and were rescued from death. Just as Noah and his family were rescued in the ark to another life. Just as Rahab and her family were not destroyed, but rescued as outsiders to have the blessings of God through salvation and to enjoy eternal life. This is you. This is you trying to live outside of God and what he's done for you in Christ. This is you trying to live outside of Christ. You're inner person, the real you, will never enjoy true and abundant living in Christ apart from him. Just like this fish that we see attempting to live outside of water, life is only found in Christ. The goldfish lives and breathes only because of the water he is placed in. He has no life apart from it. It is in him we live and move and have our being. So you and I, in Christ, through salvation, we are rescued, we're saved, and then we are put in a place where we're able to receive all the spiritual blessings God has for us through his son, Jesus Christ, and are presented holy and blameless in his sight right now, and all for the glory of God. The glory of God. Three times in this passage that we're looking at today in verse 6 and 12 and 14 is what I say is Paul's hallelujah. If you notice where each one of them is, each one is after Paul's description of what God in Christ has done for us. It's like Paul is taking a breath in this run-on sentence 
to pause and to shout glory to God, to the praise of his glorious grace. We might read these exclamations of God's glory and mistakenly think that uh, they're talking about us. That's not a stretch, am I right? If we're not careful, we might find ourselves thinking that Paul is writing about me exclusively. But isn't that our propensity anyway? We, we tend to think more individually than corporately. The us includes both Jews and Gentiles in the church at Ephesus and beyond. It was important to point out that these blessings are both, both for Jewish and Gentile believers. A commentator reminds us of this. He says, we are chosen in him, for if we are chosen in Christ, it is outside ourselves. It is not from the sight of our deserving, but because our heavenly Father has engrafted us through the blessing of adoption into the body of Christ. In short, the name of Christ excludes all merit and everything which men have of themselves. This text isn't about me. It's about God. It's about how God reached down into my pit of sin and shame, being fully guilty and deserving of his full justice and wrath. And he put my feet on solid ground. And then he gave me a crown. Now, I didn't make that up. That's in Psalm 103. So check it out. You get a crown too. So I want you to read this, these with me. Because I want you to um, think about this. So we're going to read this. Not for our sake but to the praise of his glorious grace, not for our sake, but so in that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory, not for our sake, but to him who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And don't even be tempted to think that salvation is the end point to God's purposes. How we live every day matters. We've talked about that, I think, right? God's eternal purpose is that we glorify his name and so that even the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places will see his manifold wisdom. That's from Ephesians 3.10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God's plan for us was to be to the praise of his glory. And it was determined before he created the world and he created us for this purpose. In the book of Job, we get a, a glimpse of this when Satan blasphemes faithful Job saying, does Job fear God for no reason? In other words, God, no one's gonna simply serve you just because you're good and wonderful. You have to bribe them. But God, through his manifold wisdom and glory, created a people to love and serve him. As we've learned first, it was the children of Israel. Now we see the plan was to include both Jews and Gentiles to come together in the name of Christ, to glorify his name as one people. Will we find him truly praiseworthy? Will we love him and glorify his name for no other reason but that he is truly worthy? 
Do we only love God for what he does for us? Believers, we are that people. We are that group. We praise God because he is worthy. We joyfully and we freely love him and we glorify his name because he is worthy. You know, God calls us to study his word. He says in several places, not to be merely just a hearer of the word only, but to be a doer, to apply and to proclaim his word to the end so that we might glorify God in everything that we do. You know, this world, much of it, it doesn't read the Bible, but it reads you. We are to be lights in the darkness and to do what we must know to do. We must live his word. We must know his word so that we might proclaim his eternal glories. I'm going to finish up by just telling you a a few things because I want you to connect um, between the Old Testament and New Testament. I just want to remind you of these things. Just as God predestined Israel's inheritance, so God predestined the inheritance for his church, the body of believers in Christ. Just as Israel was blessed with all material blessings in the heavenly places in Abraham, so the church, the body of believers, is blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ. That's a lot of what we talked about today. Israel's ownership of the land was unconditional under the Abrahamic covenant, but possession of the land was conditional upon faith and obedience, as we saw in our study of Joshua. The final defeat of Satan is sure. We see this in Ephesians 1, 19 through 23, which we're gonna hear about and look forward to next week. As believers, we are called upon to reside in this world We're really citizens of the other place, of another place where God abides. And we are equipped here with heavenly weaponry wielded by those who are strong in the Lord. Ephesians melts my soul because God spoke. God reached down God had grace and mercy on me that we might be brought to him. He's done everything. He's thought of everything. And he has a good plan for his people. It reminds me that as a believer, God has gifted me with every spiritual blessing. I don't want you to forget that. I don't want you to leave here today not knowing that. It makes my heart soar with unexplainable joy in the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm never alone. He helps me. He reminds me. He teaches me. And it gives me joyful determination. He gives me joyful determination to live my life with purpose and resolve all to the glory of God in Christ. You see this slide up here, it says, these are those who follow the lamb wherever he goes. These were purchased from among men as the first fruits to God and to the lamb. We are these. We are those. We follow the lamb. Heavenly Father, we love you. There is no one like you. There is no one above you. It is you that we seek. It is you that we desire. And if that is not true, make it true. 
today. Change our hearts to know you deeper. Let us long for your glory so that others may know that we know you. Let us put ourselves in those places. Let us live the life that you fully intended. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.